means the ministry is interfering at Hogwarts. You're not going mad. You're just as sane as I am. I must not tell lies. You seem to be laboring under the delusion that I'm going to... What was the phrase? Come quietly. Hey everyone, welcome to Hogwarts, a podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Hogwarts, a podcast. We are covering chapter 27, The Centaur and the Sneak. This is a special episode, uh, so we have a couple of things to discuss before we get into it. Uh, But before we get to those, Elizabeth is here with us. Hi everyone! So this is a big chapter, and we know we have a lot to cover. I'm Uh, excited to be here for this one. This is fun. Yeah, it's a very cool chapter, but we also have some very exciting things to go over at the beginning of this podcast because we recently got our spotify wrapped results for the year yeah at the time of recording this this is our 2023 wrapped correct and you know at, at this point in time you know spotify mm-hmm. uh, doles out all of these statistics yeah. on what you're listening to music podcasts whatever so it gives us as podcasters a feedback which I love. I love looking at our stats. I just think it's so fun to see the numbers of what's going on with the podcast. Elizabeth, I remember <laughs> when seven people were listening to this podcast. Yeah, I was one of them. And four of those people <laughs> are on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Safe to say that we have grown a little bit. Yeah, it's uh, crazy. Honestly, thank you, everyone, for listening. So here's some of those statistics for those that are wondering. We've posted them to Twitter and Instagram and all that. So, well, um, some of them there's they give us more statistics. They give than us what more. They just put on the wrap. So there's a couple of things we'll we'll share with you here that we haven't posted per se, but we are the top podcast for 1.4 thousand people. That's so crazy. That is insane. <laughs> That's absolutely mind-blowingly insane. And uh, we cannot be more thankful and blessed yeah. uh, for that. Um, furthermore, we're the top five podcast for 6,000 plus people. And we're a top 10 podcast for 9,000 plus people. Oh my gosh, you guys are amazing. Thank you so much for listening to us. It's it's uh, humbling yeah. to, to really think about it. Yeah, your and, voice has been heard. By all those people. Well, my voice has also been heard in over a hundred countries. I remember when we thought we wouldn't get heard out of the state of Illinois. Illinois, where we're based, yeah. is not even the top state of the yeah. United States. That we're California. Thank you to everybody listening in the state of California because you're our top U.S. state. Yeah, shout out to you guys. Um, but we have uh, most of our new listeners internationally. Uh, and domestically, I guess, uh, have come from the following areas. Obviously, the U.S. is leading. Mm-hmm. Um, not terribly surprising since we're based there. Mm-hmm. Canada is number two. Belgium is number three. Uh, thank you to all of our listeners in Belgium who are sharing the podcast. Uh, we have always had a strong listenership in Belgium, and um, clearly you guys are sharing it. So thank you very much. Yeah, much appreciated. Uh, we have a bunch of new listeners from Brazil, which might be the most surprising country on this list. I mean, obviously, <laughs> it's a it's a very large country in South America. That's, so that, Yeah, that's super cool. We thank you very <laughs> much for listening. And uh, Mexico also is on that top five we got list. Our neighbors to the north and neighbors to the south. Hello, everyone. Bienvenidos. <laughs> uh, thank you to our listeners in Mexico. 
um, is very cool yeah. that our voices have been heard in all these different places. It, so. it, it's crazy. Uh, if our podcast has shown up on your Spotify wrapped, post it, share it, tag us in that post. Uh, we'd love to see it. We'd love to interact with you guys who are listening to us so much. Thank you specifically to Mabel underscore BVB. Uh, she shared a Spotify wrapped result on Instagram and tagged us in her story and we got to see it. Uh, and she was one of those people that said, uh, quote, love this podcast. I listen to it as I fall asleep. So I have it playing all night. That's super cool. Thank you very much for listening to the podcast. And thank you very much for sharing that Spotify wrapped and tagging us in it. Uh, mm -hmm. We really appreciate it. Yeah, please please share yours, like Dan said, if we're on it, and we'll repost you. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that's it for all of the acknowledgments. I, I don't know if people really fully understand just how excited we are <laughs> and like amazed. Yeah, amazement, <laughs> astonishment. Like I said, a lot of hard work does go into this. And seeing all of you guys enjoy what we're putting out there. It's really cool. It makes it worth it. Yeah. So thank you guys. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, we'll get by. Uh, we'll get past all of the stats and all of that. Uh, all good the gushing stuff. about how awesome everybody is. And we'll get to the actual chapter, which is what all of you are here to listen to. So specifically, um, the very, very first detail of this chapter, I think, is why people are here. Like I said, we're covering chapter twenty-seven, the centaur and the sneak. So obviously, mm -hmm. there's a centaur and a sneak that we have to cover. And yes, we do get off to a very interesting couple of details, <laughs> which I just found awkward. And quite frankly, a little unpleasant. You mean you've never curled your eyelashes around a wand? Okay, first of all, <laughs> first of all, just the actual <laughs> practicality of that. How long are your eyelashes? Or, It'd be similar to if or, you had like a pencil and you tried to put it up to your eye and you just like okay, you know, still, push it around it. Your eyelashes need to be of a certain length, <laughs> which seems unnatural, number one. And I get that there are fake eyelashes. Seems but that's odd. That's a mascara that can like add on to the length a bit. Sure, I'm sure there's magical curl it around a wand. <laughs> how how thin is your wand? True. Or yes, that's where I, I guess was, like pressing around the edge. That's where I was going to get to. Is <laughs> did they magically lengthen their eyelashes? I don't think they've lengthened him. I don't think they're trying to go for the length of like. What are those? Uh, aren't there like llamas or something with really long eyelashes that are super, super I'm fancy? I'm sure there are several animals. With... Something like that where everyone's like, oh, I, I envy their eyelashes. I don't think they're lengthening them to like an unnatural length. I just think... To be curling them with a wand. <laughs> yes, you I think to. it's just like around the edge, not necessarily the whole wand. They're just trying to like, you know, like I might try to press up my eyelashes a little bit and try to like curl them a little bit. After everything I just said with our numbers growing, do you think... <laughs> Do you think anybody from around the world? Do you think this is the quality discussion you come for? Do you think, do you think anybody expected our podcast to start with an eyelash breakdown? I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, Hogwarts of Bod. <laughs> well, I mean, they're doing it because they're like, ooh, Ferenz, did you see him? He's so attractive. And Hermione's like, yeah, he's a horse. He has four legs. <laughs> he has four legs. I did feel like Hermione was being a little bit rude because she's just like, mm, whatever, he's not my type. He's a horse. I'm not saying that she should be lusting after a man who has four legs and hooves, but like, he could be attractive okay. without being like, but seriously, mm, I want to with him. Seriously, <laughs> this is a little odd. Right? You never had a crush on your teacher? 
no, 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 no. My teacher has been not humanoid, human. Just human. You can appreciate beauty in someone without necessarily being like, hmm. But they do seem no, 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 no. They do seem to be taking it to that, the point where it's like, okay, I want him to lie. It's a little it's lusting like, here. Yeah. It's a little lustful. It's not yeah. like, oh, Ferenz is a beautiful centaur. Right. No, no, no. That's not where they're going. Right. It's a little lustful, which I feel like is a little odd. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. <laughs> well, Hermione doesn't care that she's missing out on it because it's still divination and she's still not a fan. Let's get to his actual class. Can we get to the facts instead of all of this? <laughs> eyelash talk? Eyelash, uh, vain beauty talk. Have you ever curled like, your eyelashes? No. <laughs> although, although I have been told I have very long, luscious eyelashes. Men always seem to, and it drives me nuts. In any case. So yeah, the divination classroom is no longer up in the ceiling, like Trelawney's room. Oh, she's still living there. She's still living there. Plus, I mean, he can't get up the rope ladder. He has four legs. Yes. It'd be a problem. Climbing a ladder would be difficult. <laughs> yeah. So now we're in room 11, which... Is on the ground floor. I also didn't realize there were so many unused classrooms in Hogwarts. Sure. I mean, like, I know that there have been empty classrooms that they wandered in, but to me, I just get this sense of, like, this empty, abandoned hallway with all these rooms that are just, I don't know, storage. Does Filch go over there and put cleaning supplies in them or something? Does Peeves hang out in a classroom? Do you think Peeves has a classroom that's specifically for him to like live in? Probably. They also could use them for detentions or something like that. Clean True. them or organize them or whatever. True. But we find out that <clears throat> Albus has specifically done some wonderfully beautiful magic mm -hmm. to this particular room. He's created a forest clearing complete with like slight... Uh, slightly mossy ground, mm -hmm. trees growing, the leaves spanning across the ceiling, Being boulders. able to see, like, the sky in the ceiling, you know, like the stars. Yeah, well, okay, so that's part of it. Is the room magically inclined? Did he charm it to react to Ferenz's movements? Or how is that working? Because Ferenz makes a motion. Of like of, like, that VR, like, type of technology. Well, Ferenz makes a motion, and then the leaves, like, come away. Right. To show the night sky. Right. I mean, he, he doesn't have a wand. Correct. So it could I be I don't know what the has... magical, in, like, I don't know if they're, like, goblins or house elves that have, like, an innate magic to them. Right. Or if they're just a creature in the magical world who's, like, completely I could see sentient. it as Dumbledore programming the room to just respond to Ferenz. Maybe, like, an intuitive form of magic. Yeah. I mean, he's doing him a big favor by teaching the class. You don't think he's sitting, like, outside looking in a window, just being like, and now, okay, now. And he <laughs> just waits his one. too much to do right now. He keeps yeah. messing with moving trees. <laughs> uh, but anyway, it's a really, really cool room, just I mean, in to general. the point where they walk in and they're like, we kind of forget that we're not indoors. It feels like we are in the forest outside at night. Like, really immersive. Mm-hmm. We do find out some information on Ferenz in that he uh, has been banished from his herd for agreeing to work for Albus Dumbledore. Right, he's got big, the hoof bruise no -no. on his chest. The shadow of a hoof print yeah. on his chest. Yeah. yeah. I do feel bad for Dean. I know he wasn't meaning it to be offensive, but when he asked the question of like, oh yeah, did Hagrid breed you guys? It's like, oh, child. No, that's that's really actually a very offensive. Like, I do like that the friends didn't like. I mean, he gave him a look like 
made him realize it, but he, he didn't call him out on it and embarrass him. But it, it's just one of those like, oh, cringy. Now, to be fair, yeah, Dean, off off base comment. Mm-hmm. Fair. Ferenc isn't exactly the kindest individual to humans either. True. He takes some shots at humans very directly. <laughs> uh, Are you talking about the shots at Trelawney? Well, okay. So he, he does take some time out to actually have some commentary on Trelawney. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't take shots at the person Sybil Trelawney so much as he does the human race as a whole. Well, especially human seers. So, well... So there's a couple of things there. Uh, he does say that human seers or fortune tellers, which he does make a difference between the two. Mm-hmm. But he says a lot of it is focused on trivial human accidents that are of actual no real significance. Yeah, he said there are of no more significance than the scurrying of ants to the wide universe. And they are unaffected by planetary mo- movements. So his interpretation is... Trelawney may or may not see, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. That's okay. If she doesn't see, then she's more that fortune teller type. And if she does see, okay, that's great. But what are you focusing on seeing? Right. He says she wastes too much time with like trying to explain away trivial burns and accidents like that. Like the planets really don't care what what you're doing. Yeah, and it's just really she's just flawed by the limitations of being human mm-hmm. more than anything else. Mm-hmm. So really, it's not so much a shot at her personally, Sears, or any kind of fortune teller type person. It's more of a humans are cute. Which makes me wonder, like, okay, this is obviously a subject that apparently humans can teach-ish to a degree, but clearly the centaurs, I mean, part of their breed is just studying the stars and, and being able to read the fortune. And obviously we know they're too proud to really help out the humans and okay, that's fine. But it makes me wonder how much more the wizarding world could gain if other non-human creatures taught like their magical skills. Here's my thing with friends. And his class. Mm -hmm. Because he also says that while humans spend so much time worrying about insignificant things, and centaurs are here Mm -hmm. with real, true wisdom. Well, impersonal and impartial wisdom. Wisdom. (laughs) He uses wisdom. Right. Not like sloughing off human insignificance. He uses the word wisdom. Mm -hmm. And the wisdom of centaurs. Well, it takes time. It takes years. It takes decades, potentially. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> How much fortune teller now are you doing? Kind of. <laughs> I'm like, I'm sorry. It takes decades to figure out if you were on the right path. Uh-huh. You're slammed people. People have slammed Trelawney for making indirect, maybe, maybe not predictions that make maybe can come true but you don't really know if it's coming true in months. I guess you're right at, like, at what point does you making a prediction and how long you wait for it to come true still make that a prediction versus like well I'm just waiting and then I'll I'll give you my my full take on what I interpreted yeah so I mean he now he does backtrack a little bit mm-hmm. because later on he says that even centaurs do mistake signs Mm -hmm. and 
divining the future is not exactly a foolproof endeavor. Which makes sense, because, I mean, if we're going to say that free will is what rules things as opposed to fate, then the choices people make would be constantly shifting the timeline that they're trying to be predicting. So what you predict at one point could very well not be true anymore based on actions of people. So he he does make some interpretations of some signs. So mm -hmm. what we do is, as you said, at one point the leaves spread from the ceiling mm -hmm. and you see the night sky and everybody notices that Mars is particularly bright. That's another reference <laughs> to Mars. We have been hearing Mars is bright tonight since like, I mean, gosh, book one. Book one. Yeah. Um, so it's another reference to Mars. Mm -hmm. Mars, the bringer of war. Yeah, conflict, bloodshed, all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. uh, not generally positive. Mm -hmm. uh, which a lot of the kids bring up. They're like, hey, Mars is bright. That means X, Y, or Z. And friends is like, children. That's <laughs> like me. Humans. Like, Child. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, but he makes this dire <laughs> statement. Trelawney gets in trouble for saying that a kid will die. Or a kid might die. He goes, wizard kind living in brief calm between two wars. Okay. No, I have qualms about that. I feel like it's still worse for Trelawney to say, like, one of us will, will die by the end of the year. Harry, He's saying lots I... of people could die. <laughs> lots of people. Okay. Wars the, aren't The difference useful. is... She's literally, like, holding Harry's hand and being like, you will be dead soon, soon, soon. And, oh, I'm too sad to continue our lessons. Children, pack up and go to your next class because we cannot continue any further. And he's being like, look, all of humanity right now should be paying attention to what's going on around us because it is getting into a very conflicted time and place and we need to... Like, start working together or else, yeah, as a society, we're going to be doomed. I feel like it's more of a warning than Trelawney's. Because Trelawney seems more like, once again, I'm trying to be impressive and make everyone else feel That's like... fine. But one makes a dire prediction, gets slammed by everybody. The other <laughs> one makes a dire prediction and praise friends. He's the best. <laughs> I'm like, come on, people. Come I, on. I think it's still just because it's more generalized and... Maybe it's easier to I'm feel... sorry, more generalized than Trelawney? It, it, well, let's not be like, hey, you, you specifically, okay. you're going to be dead by the end of the year. It, it's more, I think it's easier to remove yourself when it's just like the general population as opposed so to... So they're more vague. Specific. Yes. but I And think, that makes him better. I think so, only because, <laughs> I know it sounds ridiculous, but I think... You're it's... casting the net wider, so a better <laughs> possibility of you hitting on your no, prediction? No, I think it just makes it seem more realistic because, like we already said, the future is so hard to predict. So if you're being wider net of possibilities, then when... There's a little double talk more, here. It seems more likely. When Trelawney makes a vague prediction... People get on her for it. Well, but her vague prediction was about a specific student who was, what, 13 years old? No, no, no. She old? made several vague predictions. <laughs> like about lavender and the thing you dread will happen on this right. day. Like several vague predictions. Right. And people hammered her for it. Like, oh, of course something could possibly happen. Blah, 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 blah. 
He's casting a wide net here. Yeah, but I, I still feel like his is more... Something you dread like, might happen in no, the no, next no, no. 30 years, okay, Elizabeth. Something might happen. Here's what I'm going to make in terms of a muggle comparison, right? They say you study history so that you don't repeat it, even though history repeats itself all the time because we humans are stupid. So he's saying, look, we're studying the stars. We're studying the future. Here is what we foresee happening. I'm telling you this. Similar to the way the Sorting Hat did uh, as a warning of watch your own actions, watch what you're doing, watch what you're thinking, because we're going towards a dark place. Whereas with Trelawney being like, hey, you specific child, you're probably going to be dead by the end of the year. Sorry. So he's making he's making that prediction based on the, the two wars thing based on the skies. Right. He says, how soon that second war is coming right will be further divined by burning leaves and herbs yeah okay and like looking for certain patterns in the smoke correct yeah so he does this and harry notes that there's a pungent odor coming mm -hmm. from the flames mm -hmm. no one sees anything in the flames and, and friends is like eh, that's fine well, humans, that's, humans don't really usually see that anyway. Well, that's when he makes the... Even centaurs can make mistakes, mm -hmm. and nothing is really foolproof in this. Which does remind me of Trelawney. Well, that's what I was going to say. With... There there are parallels here between their classes, whether you like it or not. Right. They... <laughs> a pungent odor hurts... <laughs> she does have an odor in her room. Perfume yeah. is her, her odor to get you kind of in that, like, divine sense. Mm -hmm. And Ferenz is not... Above using odor to help the site either. Mm -hmm. By burning leaves and herbs, you get that odor. Well, the whole, like, you might not see it anyway reminds me of what... Her you, first your, comment. Her first class comment, yeah. So they agree on that as well. Mm -hmm. If you don't have the site, uh, then don't worry about it because you're not going to see anything anyway. Okay, I think it comes across as less judgmental from Ferenz than it does from Trelawney. Which makes me feel like there's a little bit of sexism going on here. Both experts in their field, I think it's just Trelawney, the way that she presents herself. She comes across as more of a weirdo than Ferenz does, even though he is part horse. And it's because he has a more calming demeanor about stuff, whereas she seems like such a weird oddball. Which is an unfair thing, and maybe it's just because we're seeing it through Harry's perspective. And the way the kids treat her. Kids are not usually kind to people who they deem as odd. But the kids are intimidated by friends. So maybe that's part of it. I, I think demeanor is everything. Mm -hmm. I They're saying a lot of generally the same things as far as the grand scheme of divination goes. Mm -hmm. And it, he acknowledges Sears as being legitimate, just focusing on the wrong things. Mm -hmm. and, and true Sears being more rare. True. I think the demeanor that he has, and I think kids being a little bit more intimidated that a centaur is in the room, mm -hmm. leads more to them being them. in awe versus being uh, distracted by how odd this all is. I think it's part of why McGonagall is so respected and Snape is so respected, even though, like you said before, their first lessons are just as impressive as Trelawney's. And this is, a, by the way, this is also an impressive, an first, impressive lesson. first lesson because yeah. they're all awed by the room. Right. And the figure standing in front of them. Right. I think it, it's very much the demeanor of, I am confident in what I'm teaching you. I know my subject. 
I'm going to present it to you and you can trust that I'm an expert in it. I think Trelawney just fails at presenting herself as an expert, which is unfortunate because she obviously has some skills. It just needs to be... I don't know if it's like just because it's magic, the kids need more of a like, oh, I'm a mystified I think, kind of thing. I think part of it, and we've talked a little bit about backgrounds mm-hmm. on this podcast, and I think part of it is where Trawny has come from. And who she has and, to live up to be. And has, not even that, but just how she has to deal on a day by day basis and where Friends is coming from. Mm-hmm. Trelawney gets made fun of constantly not just by the fandom in this book in series she gets made right. fun of she gets put down all the time and she has to fight over that whereas friends, friends yeah, he's been surrounded by people similar to him respected in his herd until well, this centaurs are conversely generally respected mm-hmm. and carry a demeanor about them that's more regal maybe and they all accept that scene is true so one carries herself in a certain way because of what she's experienced as a person. Mm-hmm. And the other carries himself in a certain way because what they've experienced as a centaur in our herd, those life experiences matter in how you present yourself in this given moment. Yeah. And it's unfortunate. Yeah. But it's the reality of it. There's a lot to break down in Ferenz's first lesson. He gives us a lot here. He gives us similar things to Trelawney. He gives us some different things than Trelawney. Mm-hmm. And I think those differences and similarities are really interesting to pick through. I don't think they're very different. Other than how they carry themselves. And their species. Well, yeah, but <laughs> that aside. But how they carry themselves matters. Yeah, no. And I, I think agree. that's the difference in how the kids treat them. Yeah. And even how the staff members treat them. Yeah. But. I didn't picture a whole Trelawney debate going on again. But that's not the end of Friends. He does have a message specifically for Harry to give to Hagrid. And he said to go tell him the attempt is not working. He'd be better to abandon it. And when Harry asked for more information of, okay, what attempt are you talking about? He's like, Okay, I respect Hagrid. He has shown over the years that he cares about every living creature in the Forbidden Forest. I will not betray his confidence, but tell him because he needs to be woken up from the attempt that he's attempting. He's being vague again. Yep. He refuses to tell Harry details, and he masks it with, I'm respecting Hagrid's privacy. Are you? Because you're telling Harry to go tell him no. Go tell I him mean, stop. to be fair, he fits in well with the Hogwarts staff of not giving all the details. <laughs> Harry does attempt it, though. Um, he said it took a few times because Umbridge has been coming to every single lesson now, and he can't obviously say anything in front of Umbridge. So he said he pretended to forget his copy of Fantastic Beasts and where to find them, and he kind of like circled back. Which, I just have the question. What happened to the Monster Book of Monsters? Umbridge would not have approved of that book. <laughs> they think they just chucked them out into the forest or something? No, I think that was a probably... Is there like a library within the forest just living and ripping each other's pages out? I think that's a Hermione suggestion of you might not want to use that textbook. Use the Fantastic Beasts and where to find them instead? Yeah. Now, in Harry trying to talk to Hagrid but failing, 
there's a massive time jump here. We go from February to April. Yeah, that's big. That's a big time jump. Again, Mandy Brocklehurst moment, missed. Uh, we also get a little tidbit of, now that it's April, we're getting down to exam time. Yes, this means stress. We get the note that Hannah Abbott is the first to receive a calming drought mm -hmm. for panicking over the exams. Yeah, too much stress and anxiety. She said that she was too stupid to just fail her at everything right now. My career requires a certification exam, mm -hmm. and that exam is everything. If I don't pass that, I can't get certified, I can't work. And that is stressful. Yeah, so uh, mm -hmm. Hannah Abbott is the first one to kind of... Need help. Ha yeah, <laughs> I have to have a little help getting through. Yeah. My experience in, in teaching, this is my 12th year teaching, and I have noticed more and more and more with finals and, and just regular tests too, students, there seems to be an increased amount of anxiety when it comes to test time than what I remember us having as as high schoolers like I remember stressing and, t and studying and whatever but it does seem like a lot get the test and immediately their mind goes blank and they panic and they start making really silly mistakes that I know they actually don't mean to make or I know they actually have the knowledge they're just getting into their own head sometimes the kids come to me with questions I'm like you're thinking too much honestly like you know the answer you're just talking yourself out of it so for finals, it's like that times 10. They freak out. And I feel like a calming draught would be really helpful for some of them. Speaking of students trying to prepare and study for passing their OWLs, mm -hmm. we get another look into the DA lessons mm -hmm. and Defense Against the Dark Arts. It's Patronus time. Harry has started Patronuses. We get the info that... Cho's Patronus has taken the form of a swan. Hermione's has taken the form of an otter, mm -hmm. uh, which are two students that have come quite a long way as far as Patronuses go, because we also find out Lavender, Neville, and Seamus are really just producing puffs of smoke at this point. Yeah, I mean, Lavender, she's, she's really trying. Seamus? Seamus? Seamus, like, this is his first meeting, so the fact that he's getting... Anything close to anything is impressive. I just feel so bad for Neville. I mean, Harry describes him, Neville, like he's trying so hard, he's he's sweating. And it's like, this poor child can't come up with a moment happy enough to create a Patronus. That's so sad. Well, I don't know if it's that or if he's trying too hard or if it's just difficult magic. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think... It's not the easiest thing to do in the world. Mm -hmm. And you have multiple students clearly at roughly the same level. It just so happens that Cho and Hermione have seemed to separate themselves from this pack so far. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I don't know. It's similar to Harry. I mean, his first attempt wasn't, you know, automatically... Uh... Right, and he had to do it with the added stress of a boggart in right. the world. So. And a lot of chocolate. He hasn't provided any of them with chocolate. Well, Where's they, the chocolate? <laughs> they haven't had to deal with actual fear. That's why. <laughs> but anyway. Uh, however, they haven't had to deal with actual fear yet. Until right this very moment. Until this moment where we get word from Dobby that Umbridge is coming. So she's clearly forbidden them yeah, she from said, speaking about he this. He said she told the house elves specifically 
do not warn anybody. Which intrigues me because I feel like Umbridge wouldn't be the kind of person to go to the house elves. She has the wherewithal and the foresight to go to the house elves. Mm -hmm. I mean, most of the students that speaks don't know, volumes. Most of the students don't know the house elves even exist in the castle. I think this is a real insight in Umbridge that we get here that she Warned went them? to house elves. Yeah, I really don't know what would have possessed her to do that. Yeah. I mean, she's not aware of the relationship between Harry and Dobby, right? No, but so. maybe we as a fan base underestimate how smart she actually is. Yeah. Just because she's cruel doesn't mean she's not intelligent. Intelligent. Yeah. So. Well, unlucky for her, house elves can disobey the orders. I mean, it's not the easiest thing in the world, but he Harry coaxes it. it. Harry, Harry coaxes it. Harry has practice with Dobby, and he was able to get out of him that, you know, Umbridge knows she's coming, so he warns everyone to run. And what I love is he he orders Dobby at, to not tell Umbridge he told and forbids him from, like, giving any kind of warning, tells him to lie about warning them, and he's not allowed to punish himself. Like, this is an order, yes, which ordinarily Hermione would probably be like, oh, you can't order the house elves, that's so cruel. But this is literally an order to protect Dobby as much as it is to protect the kids. Like, it's an order out of, um, not out of cruelty, out of, like... Necessity. Yeah. Yeah, so obviously Umbridge is coming. So, <laughs> now now here's the here's the bit. It's a little rushed and it's a little chaotic because everybody panics. Right. It, it's a pure panic situation from Harry, which isn't actually in his usual repertoire of no, usually, emotions. Usually he would be much calmer with trying to figure out. Usually he's much better in these situations. Yeah. But here he just straight up panics. Maybe it's just because he's getting so many friends into a dangerous situation. It's not him. It's not just it's him. It's not just him. Yeah. yeah. Ultimately, this ends up in Dumbledore's office. As Harry is caught... There's a lot of people in his There's office. a lot of people. You have Albus, McGonagall, Fudge, Kingsley, Percy in the corner with quill and uh, paper, parchment in front of him. All right, to go. And an unknown wizard who is present, who we later find out is Dawlish. Right. Fudge begins to question Harry, and Harry wants to lay it all out there. Yeah, because Harry He like... wants to stick it to Fudge. Yeah. But he catches I mean, Dumbledore. consider, like, this is the first time Harry has seen Fudge in the, in the flesh since the summer, when they were putting, smearing his name in every paper, and I, even before that, when Fudge didn't believe him about Cedric's death. He's been wanting to go at him for his whole time. So Harry thinks about it for just a split second, sees Dumbledore, and is like, Yeah, yeah. no. <laughs> he, he changes his answer mid word. Yeah. And he just catches this slight Head whisper shake. shadow of a wink yeah. from Dumbledore. And then he completely buys into this whole denial. Mm -hmm. Just deny, deny, deny. Now, here's my question. Do you think Dumbledore has been aware about these meetings this entire time? Or do you think he just found out about them, but was like real quick on the reflexes of what we need to do proceeding forward? No, Dumbledore is definitely aware of it because of Mundungus being in the hogshead. True, but do you think he realized that it was continuing? 
Because, I mean, we know eventually... I think he assumes. We know eventually he sees that the group's name is Dumbledore's Army, and that seems to take him a little bit by surprise. Dumbledore's greatest quality that I think makes him so brilliant is his ability to think very quickly, given information. The back and forth between Fudge and Harry ends in this Fudge throwing up his arms and like, well, this is going nowhere. This, this is going just nowhere. Stupid. Just Let's... bring in the informant. Right. And we'll get down to uh, the whole thing. So Umbridge brings in Marietta Edgecombe, who is the informant, and she is very hesitant. Marietta is hesitant to speak or say anything at all in this. She looks distraught. We find out that she has the word in large purple, purple pustules sneak written across her head. Right. And then... Um, Which is probably why she's not saying anything more. She's afraid of making the jinx get even worse. Right. But that's when Umbridge kind of explains that... Really everything. And that included the facts about uh, Marietta's mom working in the magical transportation office specifically the flu network and that's how they've been uh going through the fires policing the fires even with that like what what's interesting to me is the fact that marietta really didn't give that much information like umbridge said that she went up to her and told her that if she went up to the seventh floor she'd find what we know is to be the room of the requirement but she just kind of said it's like the special room she'd find a secret meeting going on there and that was when Hermione's jinx automatically activated. She didn't even really say that it's the Defense Against the Dark Arts group. She didn't say it was Dumbledore's army. She didn't say anything very specific. So this is a lot of like Umbridge having to guess as to what was going on. I mean, an educated guess, but still it's just a guess. And I think that's what's able to give Dumbledore so much wiggle room with what's about to happen. There's some interesting things about Marietta here. Like, when I'm reading this passage, what made her give up the DA now? Yeah, I don't know why she decided to snitch now. Like, what's the point in April? You've already gone through a lot of these lessons. What is the turning point here? Her friendship with Cho. Oh, so, maybe. So, the only thing Marietta has in this whole thing, she has... Her mom is clearly on Umbridge's side as far as what needs to be going on at Hogwarts. Mm -hmm. Two, her friendship with Cho. So you're thinking she wants revenge because Harry's starting to hang out with her too much and stealing her away from her? I, I, that Quibbler article comes out. Cho is now back on Harry's good side. Uh -huh. Their relationship is back on track. Because he was so brave. So, <laughs> I, you know, that's the only thing I could think of that Marietta would now feel like I need to. I need to I need stop to this. this. Yeah, no, I could see that. I could very much see like, that. Like oh, reading this passage, I'm just like, what? Well, because we've been talking this whole time of like, why is Marietta like Cho's friend, right? Like their friendship doesn't always seem to be amazing. So why is she still hanging around her? I could very much see this as being a toxic friendship. Of you're not paying as much attention to me as I would like, so I'm gonna rat on your boyfriend and shut down the thing that's been bringing you joy and alone time with him maybe yeah i don't know I, i'm just throwing out some ideas because i literally sat here reading this and i'm like why now yeah i had that same question too why now yeah but anyway 
Uh, Umbridge then goes into how she had a report from Willie Wittershins, mm-hmm. who told her everything about uh, what Harry said in the hog's head that day. Which is how she knows about, like, this had to have been a DA meeting. Which I love when McGonagall calls out the ministry for, oh, that's why he wasn't prosecuted for those exploding toilets. I love the portraits being like, oh, we didn't make deals with petty criminals in my day. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's it's a it's a, it's a fair point. It's a gutsy call out by McGonagall. Uh huh. Um, and they don't really have an answer for it. They kind of just <laughs> shuffle on and continue. What I love is the syntax of this next bit, um, where Umbridge said that the meeting was definitely illegal, and Dumbledore's like, "No, it wasn't." You get Albus pointing out that the time of the Hogshead meeting, that meeting was in fact not illegal. Right. Uh, Umbridge tries to point to the fact that Harry participated in an illegal activity at the Hogshead. The first one took place, but that was before it was illegal. So who's to say that more lessons have been taking place? Like Correct. this could have just been the first one since then. So then they turn back to Marietta mm-hmm. and they're asking Marietta specifically, okay, has anything taken place since that original meeting in Hogs- at the Hogshead? And lo and behold... Her answer is a shake of the head. At this point, Harry notices Kingsley doing some shenanigans. Yeah. Kingsley is quicker on the uptake than Harry is with Dumbledore's. As he should be. As he should be. But <laughs> in terms of like Dumbledore's intentions, we know he he must have done a memory charm on Marietta. So she couldn't remember months worth of lessons. And I mean, now she, so, she's a clear witness. She so, has no, no proof. Can we just talk for a second about, is that okay? Honestly, from a teacher's perspective, I would be so angry if everything that I just taught this child was out of her brain based on one moment. Wow, you're focusing on the wrong thing. So, <laughs> Okay, is it okay to erase someone's memories like that? No. Obviously, this was necessary, though, because this is a dangerous situation. Do the ends justify the means? I'm not sure. I'm not sure if it's okay to invade not only someone's mind and change something about them, but especially a child's mind. You're literally changing unwillingly a minor's memory. Like I don't, I don't know if that's morally okay. Any rules about minors versus except for stupid things about like I underst- you did underage magic around a muggle. Ah. I understand that that whole cliched phrase of all's fair in love and war, and this is war. Still, I think this is again Dumbledore knowing the big picture and the little details that go into it, and well, we making can... okay. sacrifices right. and stuff to bring about the better good. Well, all right, fine. Then we will talk about some Albus. More in in the spoilers? We'll talk more about Albus and morals in in the spoilers (laughs) section. Um, Regardless. But but point is, I'm not sure that that's exactly okay. Well, we can debate it. Come back in the spoilers for that debate. So Marietta doesn't give Umbridge the answer she wants. And Umbridge begins, we got to get this verbiage right. Begins shaking Marietta very hard. Yeah. And this is the first time Albus is upset and asserts his dominance in the room. I mean, if she wasn't a ministry goon, she'd be out of education so quickly. She'd get fired so quickly. Albus 
gets up and uh, angrily waved his wand, which ends up burning Umbridge's hands, and says specifically she shouldn't manhandle his students. Right. And then Kingsley chips in because he asserts his presence in the room. Right, he tries to calm her down. And she's like, oh yeah, I must remember myself. You're right. I could just, I can envision Kingsley coming over and being like, you'll want to stay calm here. Yeah. You'll want to calm yourself. Yeah. And But in that like tone where it's just like, it's half threat, half advice mm-hmm. of like, watch yourself right now. Mm-hmm. Albus is then presented with the Dumbledore's army parchment. Right. So right? I think he sees his name and it's like, this is both touching and moving, but also, okay, this is a wrench that I wasn't expecting. So much of trying to protect Harry, now I'm going to protect him by sacrificing myself. I think he's taken aback by, in a split moment, but then he recovers, and I think he sees opportunity. Well, yeah, because he said, oh, look, you expected to, you know, suspend Harry, now you get to arrest me. Well, he, so the thing that takes everybody back in the room is he gives up. He's like, ah, Very quickly. you got me. Yeah. It's it, my bad. Yeah. <laughs> like, you got me. It's my fault. And immediately, McGonagall and Kingsley look a little bit like, uh, what? Yeah. And Fudge can finally nail down Albus Dumbledore, and he forgets all about Harry. I mean, Dumbledore is like, oh, yeah, all your fears are true. I have been plotting against you this entire time. So Fudge wants to send Albus to Azkaban to await trial. And Dumbledore... Like, ah, what a waste of time. <laughs> Dumbledore comes up with this wonderful quote. Quote, you seem to be laboring under the delusion that I am going to, what is the phrase? Come, Come quietly? Quiet. End quote. And Dawlish moves forward with his wand. And Albus is like, I am sure you're an excellent or. You got excellent in all your N-E-W-T-S newts, in all your newts. I will have to hurt you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that's, <laughs> that's a bold comment to make. And and then we get um, McGonagall attempting to aid in this uh, uh, escape of Dumbledore. But um, ultimately, Albus ends up knocking out Fudge, Umbridge, Kingsley, and Dawlish in one foul swoop. Mm-hmm. He tells them pretend like no time has passed because they're going to think no time has passed. And makes Harry one final warning. Study Occlumency. Yes. Study it. Takes time to really reaffirm that point to Harry. Mm-hmm. And Albus tells McGonagall, Fudge will wish he never dislodged me from Hogwarts. Mm -hmm. I promise you. He grabs Fox. They disappear. The minister wakes up. And then the final sentence, you know, minister, I disagree with Dumbledore on many counts. But you cannot deny he's got style. From Phineas Nigellus, of all people. From Phineas Nigellus. Respect from him. With that, we will end it here and we will head to the spoiler section. Be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we're back for the spoiler section of chapter 27, The Centaur and the Sneak. So we had a little bit of a debate towards the end of the non-spoiler there about 
the morality of Albus Dumbledore, and particularly referring to some of his tactics in the Second Wizarding War. And the thing that really got us on this conversation was Kingsley modifying the memory of a student to ensure the outcome that they wanted to have happen in that moment. She'd be, what, 16 years old, right? Oh, roughly, give or take. Okay. Still a minor. Still right. still under the right, age of... Right, because for them, age of 17 is... Adulthood. Is, yeah. So not, not an adult. Right. Almost, and, but not. So he's... Dumbledore gets very, very upset with the physical Abuse. altercation yeah. between Umbridge and Marietta. Yeah. Totally fine with the mind trick <laughs> that Kingsley puts on Marietta. So I'm like, I and I get that we're supposed to be rooting for this. We're supposed to be like, ooh, Kingsley was so good to do that really mm. quickly and so, you know, slick and unnoticeable. And But I'm sitting there reading this. I'm like, is he right to do that? Dumbledore, like morally right. Dumbledore is just so good at chess. I think that's once again why Ron got awarded those points back their first year because it was like, oh yeah, that was a good. To be fair, this is a just just game. To be fair, this is a I guess a Kingsley moral question because he's the well, one I mean, that Kingsley's does it. Kingsley's doing what Dumbledore wants him to. He he knows this is like order business and and this is what's going to help the situation. So Kingsley is like this could be a problem he's, for Dumbledore. Yeah, he's predicting. Dumbledore's actions or what Dumbledore's so wishes, I guess. He's acting upon what he thinks Dumbledore would want, but he's still one making the decision and acting. It's not like Dumbledore's being like. I guess it'd be like... like similar in a war if your general's not necessarily there to give you orders, but you know what's best for the situation. Sure. So, you know, Kingsley's obviously doing the action, but obviously we get Dumbledore later going like, wow, Kingsley was really good on yeah, that. Yeah, I was like, he... thank him for that. He was quick on the uptake. Yeah. It was perfect timing. If he had hesitated, it wouldn't have worked. First of all, side note to that, mm -hmm. brilliant magic by Kingsley to do it. Yeah. I mean, that takes real skill. And he picked the perfect moment. Everyone was looking the other way. Yeah. I still am not sure that that was morally right. So... What would you have preferred? I get the, the all's fair in love and war thing. Mm -hmm. Like I mentioned in the not spoiler. I get that. I mean, let's play that what if. If he hadn't erased her memory, she could have snitched on all the week's worth. Unless she just, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't unless go she just well. decided like not to say anymore because she's afraid of sneak spreading across her whole body as opposed to just her face. Well, what you hope that gets Harry in more trouble. At that point, Harry's still under the the crosshairs. He's mm -hmm. in trouble. Do you think Dumbledore makes this this decision, or like hopes Kingsley makes this decision because he's so important on, like he's he's so wanting Harry to learn Occlumency right now. And he has to be able to stay in school in order to learn it, or do you think it's no? Like because other he could factors? be a he could be a Grimmauld place and have Snape come to Grimmauld place. You know, Snape won't travel for that. He will if Dumbledore tells him to. Yeah, but he'd have to like. I mean, he can't just separate. Oh, there are the ways. Castle. There are ways to have that happen. He can't go through the flu powder. It's inconvenient for Snape. But and Sirius, Sirius wouldn't be pleased with this. Well, okay, so <laughs> so inconveniences to Snape and Sirius invading the mind of a child. <laughs> what are we talking about? 
Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> what are we actually talking about? Well, I'm just so curious of like, like obviously Dumbledore wants Harry to stay in school. That's important. I understand. But I just wonder if it's because it's, you have to be here to study occlumency so we can keep Voldemort out of your brain. Or if if there's like a bigger picture thing here that we're, we just aren't. I, I, I just, I don't understand. Like, apparently Dumbledore has this thing where he's very anti-physical abuse. <laughs> but mental and emotional attacks he that doesn't seem to mind yeah because for, uh barty crouch jr slash mad eye moody was putting the imperious curse on people <laughs> taking away their free will <laughs> totally fine apparently i mean when it's we think weird. back to like dumbledore's background I mean, his brother even flat out says in book seven, you know, Dumbledore is always, he learned from the, his, their mother that he's always been good at the manipulation game because that's who he learned it from. I, I'm just saying, I get this, this works out well, but this probably prevents Harry from being expelled for sure. But if they have that Dumbledore's army call sheet. Mm. All of them would have also gotten in trouble. Not maybe not necessarily because as soon as they pull that out and Dumbledore then sees Dumbledore's army, he still spins it the way he spins it. Well, I think if he hadn't spun it, it would have been Dumbledore's in trouble, Harry's in trouble, Hermione's in trouble, Ron's. Every single person on that list is in trouble. Then their parents are questioned. How much were you aware of this? Did you approve of this? They get into trouble. It allows the ministry to put more control into place other than Umbridge because clearly there's precedent that we need more control. So, so you... then Hogwarts becomes just another outlet of the ministry. I think... You have no qualms about... No, I'm not saying that. I I agree that this is a minor and trying to do such a thing is horrible. But I do think that Dumbledore... When he sees his name on the list, he plays very, very, very quick mental chess of what's the best outcome. None of the outcomes are great, but that would be the one that causes the least amount of destruction. I mean, he's taking from her just the memories of her being in an illegal group, like a legal social group. She still has all her other memories, just so, not the memories of going to the DA for however many months. I, I think they did a slick thing. At the end of this little interaction, when he's like, ooh, that memory charm or whatever that Kingsley put on him was, or put on her was great. Mm. It reads up until that very line, when he says memory charm, mm -hmm. like Kingsley put the Imperius curse on her. Really? That's how you read it? That's how I read it up oh, until I that didn't literal read that line. Like that at all. Glazed, blank look. No, I've seen Glaze blank look as, as memory. I see it as... I see it as, as the description of that muggle in, in book four when they're at the, the Quidditch World Cup. The one every time they put the memory charm on, he's kind of got the dazed look. That was like, after, like, presumably hundreds of memory charms. Well, that still, guy was every memory <laughs> Like, that guy was done. Every memory charm seemed to have that, that effect on them. Like, same with Lockhart. He had his memory charm and he was like, well, what's going on? Like... I never took it as the Imperius Curse. I took it as it. the Imperius Curse up That's until... That's interesting. Because I got the blank look, and it's like, uh, give the answer that I want you to give oh, of no. that's interesting. No, and and not never, even say no, just shake the head no. I like, don't never, give any indication. 
I never read it like that. That's really interesting that you did. No, I read it up until Dumbledore literally said a memory charm. And I was like, is that the case? Because this seems a lot like Imperious Curse. I think I didn't take it as Imperious Curse because I don't think much of what her actions were doing indicated. It was Harry's description of it. She seemed, everything seemed to kind of like just blank out. And her like her literal anxiety seemed to ebb away, and she's just like a no. I just tell. Yeah, I, I yeah, I really just took it more as she doesn't remember these things because there was a memory charm, and she's just agreeing to what questions Umbridge asks or Dumbledore asks or whatever, because she's like, yeah, I don't remember. Yeah, this might have been first money eating. Yeah, it probably was foolish of them to invite me. You know, because I I snitched. I never took it as Imperious Curse. That's interesting. It's just <laughs> how I read it. Which, I mean, the result is similar. Yeah. Um, I think if it had been Imperious Curse, then when he removes the Imperious Curse and she still has the memory, there's still... I mean, if anything, that causes more opportunities for her to get revenge and snitch more because you just put a curse on me, an unforgivable one. So... I think the memory charm is simpler... And I hate to say more humane, but kind of just because it's like you're forgetting the lessons of the invisible of the illegal meeting you weren't supposed to be part of. I just thought that this was a massive invasion of personal privacy Mm -hmm. that's really sketchy and borderline illegal, if not illegal. I know we're supposed to be rooting for it, but at the same time. Part of me is like, this little section shows us that our heroes are also a little morally questionable. I guess my take on it is Kingsley with the memory charm seems to be more like a surgeon than Lockhart with the memory charm. Lockhart doesn't really care what damage he does. It's just, I'm going to do it and I'm really good at it. I feel like... Kingsley is going to be more specific of what memories you're not going to remember. And it was just the one of... It's your intent. Lockhart has a specific intent. Kingsley had a specific intent. However, they're both getting what they want out of the encounter. In this very specific moment... Lockhart's is... I mean, it's all to benefit themselves to a degree. Yes. But Lockhart's is way more to himself than it it's is. It's more sinister. Yeah. But at the same time, it's the same thing. It's for the greater good, Dan. <laughs> I don't know. You you guys that are listening, all of you what listeners from around the world. Tell us your thoughts. Tell us your thoughts on whether you think that Kingsley memory charm on Marietta is a little sketchy or not. Yeah, or did you read it as the Imperious Curse? Because I, I really never ever did. So that's really interesting to me. Um, speaking of that uh, interaction in the room with all of those people, mm-hmm. the fudge and uh, the ministry representation there, I do have a question. Hmm. Do you think when the Quibbler comes out and Fudge sees all of these Death Eaters named, some of which are in his Ministry of Magic, Mm-hmm. You know, you have Lucius come in there every day. <laughs> you have McNair, who's literally on your payroll. Right. Do you look into that? 
Or do you just take the quibbler for such a joke that you're just like, it's the quibbler. We can't even, we can't even base an investigation off of that. Or do you base a joke investigation off? You have to do something, right? I don't know. I think that if he does anything, it's an acknowledgement that Dumbledore might have any piece of possibly being right about Voldemort. And we can't acknowledge that. If you have a specific accusation from Harry Potter. Well, it's Harry Potter. We've been painting him as a That's fine. For a year. But everyone if in I... your wizarding world knows that name, Harry Potter. That comes with some level of, oh, Harry Potter said this? I think it's hard for some people to admit their own flaws in logic and mistakes. And Fudge is a proud man. And for him to be like, wait, I have enemies surrounded by well, myself named by Harry Potter. Okay. I okay. am that, not going to... That might work for Lucius. And that might work for guys like Crab and Goyle and Knot or whatever. McNair, you know, is I... a Death Eater. I still think it's for him. It's you don't pride. You don't be like, hey, uh, McNair, uh, that scar that, or that mark that we know you have on your arm, nothing. Pride, nothing. damn. Pride like, is his you don't, downfall. You don't even literally. Like, pride is his downfall. That's you, why he loses his job. You don't talk to the executioner and just be like, hey, he named you Maybe as being there. By him. I mean, probably is, <laughs> but it's like, it's, I know, I really think Fudge is just too prideful to, and to acknowledge too it stubborn. whatsoever. Yeah. So you're saying zero steps. That Quibbler article comes out. I think names are named. I think it's, you know, sometimes when like you tell a kid, don't do something. And of course, what do they automatically do that? Because there's the spite behind it. And there's, you don't tell me what to do. You don't name death eaters and expect me to follow through on interviewing them like you say they're death eaters and i say they're not death eaters we're at a standstill i think he's just too stubborn no investigation whatsoever yeah no steps <laughs> that's what i think i mean i'm not saying you're wrong i'm just thinking like it's no one stupid no one says a word i about mean that. imagine being one of his co-workers and be like uh, the magazine said he's a death eater and he has a desk like three down from mine. And he always carries this large axe. <laughs> he's this always seems... creepy in the elevator. <laughs> I always try to avoid going to the bathroom. He the always stares at me from across the room. <laughs> Just like stroking. Unblinkingly his with the very long axe. eyelashes. That he... <laughs> Do you think he curls them around his battle axe? Maybe. <laughs> Thought we were getting away from the eyelash conversation. You were wrong. I believe you had some thoughts on some previous conversations. Yeah, you and uh, Molly had the Valentine's Day date episode, which, as I said in, I think, the first episode of this book, I hate the Valentine's Day date. It is so cringy to me. And every time I read it, I just, oh, I do not like it. But Why? You, uh, it's just because it goes so wrong. And it's like every character is just, they're not making the best decisions emotionally. And it all escalates and backfires upon itself. And it's a failure of communication on many different levels. And 
I, I think listening to your guys' episode, um, I think I gave Cho more credit than I have ever done in the past. I thought you guys had a really good point with bringing up the fact that Hermione isn't innocent in this either. Because, like, obviously Hermione should have told Harry why she wanted him to come meet her with Rita. Like, if she had mentioned that, he could have given Cho that information. And then she could have been like, oh, okay, I guess that's more innocent than what I'm thinking that you're meeting. So, let's go. That's cool. Cho is flawed for bringing up the whole, like, oh, Roger asked me out. And, oh, do you think... Cedric was thinking about me before he died. Like, no, he died in a second. He didn't have time for such things. What a stupid question. And then Harry, like, he just doesn't know how to tactfully bring up the fact that Hermione is not actually his circuit little lover. She's just a friend who asked him to, like, bring the girl with whatever. So I think they're all flawed. It's a shame that... Cho takes the brunt of a lot of fan hatred when I don't think she really deserves it very much. Mm -hmm. I feel like she gets too much heat for the crying all the time thing. And part of that's on the author because that's how she establishes the character. I think it's, it's... just meant as a, to contrast Harry's calmness until Sirius dies. If she's painting Cho as this weak, sobbing mess mm -hmm. in a negative light. Cho is portrayed in a fairly negative light. Mm -hmm. Characters like Hermione and Ginny are showed in this light of heroism and being... Heroes don't cry. Yeah, toughness yeah. and, you know, being emotionally tough is just as important as being physically tough, which there's levels to that. You could still show emotion and be emotionally tough. Mm -hmm. I don't think she does a fair job of doing that. I think Cho, there are moments when she does portray Cho as a strong, independent, intelligent, capable individual. Usually when it's pre-Cedric. Like, oh. I mean, when she was like Quidditch star, it was like, ooh, she's pretty. Ooh, she's so good on the team. Oh, when she's with her friend, she's so popular. Post-Cedric, then it's she can't get through the day without crying in the bathroom. She can't get through anything without falling to pieces. Well, yeah, she went through a trauma. Like, once again, there's no counseling, but there's no therapy. Subtly, very subtly, she just slips it in there very quickly. Mm -hmm. We get a hint that Cho is a strong, capable, intelligent person in mm -hmm. this chapter. Where? She has a Patronus. She can... Produce a fully corporeal Patronus, which is not which easy to do. Which I also shows that if she's able to have a happy enough memory to create a Patronus, one, I wonder what the memory is, but also, two, that shows that she's working through her emotions, and I think part of being able to do that is the fact that she is crying. She is processing it by crying. She's not shoving it to the side like Harry honestly does. Right. And then it bubbles up in very negative ways. Until Sirius dies, then it's the... The mass explosion. Uh, Harry manifests it in different ways. It it bubbles up in when he yells at Ron and Hermione very early on in the mm -hmm. book. It bubbles up. His not being able to shut up around Umbridge. Yes. <laughs> it, it shows itself in certain places. It shows itself in the lessons for occlumency. Mm -hmm. He just represses all of it. And then when it 
comes out, it comes out aggressively, and then Snape is like, whoa. Right. <laughs> like, right. what were all of these? That, none of that is supposed to be happening. Like, right. what, what are we doing? That's why he sucks at Aquamancy so much. So, if anything, it, it, it's portrayed as this negative, negative thing, but I'm on team cry your heart out. Like, Cho is, is doing the right thing here. It's just a shame that it's it's portrayed as such a bad thing. It's okay to cry. <laughs> That's an okay thing. Hopefully this podcast isn't making you cry, though. Hopefully not. But there's more to Cho than what a lot of people take at surface value. So I'm hoping we're doing a pretty good job of shedding some light on a character that I think has been mostly downtrodden. Um, But let us know if you are a Cho fan. Let us know if you enjoy the character of Cho and thinks she might get shoved to the side a little bit too too hastily. But once again, thank all of you for sharing this podcast and commenting and participating in our polls and just listening. It's been uh, <laughs> wonderful to see all of that support in number form. Yeah. Uh, it would all be... of it, I get a kick out of seeing the numbers grow. I check it fairly frequently, and anytime there's a new one, I'm like, ooh, look at that. It would be even better if we saw it from you guys. So show us, uh, tag us in any of those Spotify wrapped mm-hmm. uh, notifications that you guys get and let us know if you guys are listening to us. You always have that support the podcast link wherever you can find this podcast um, to donate financially. And like I said, it's a lot of time we put into this to make this work. A lot of time I put in editing, behind the scenes, making this thing go. Scheduling for all of our guests that come on is not easy. Um, There's also uh, a link to leave a voice message. So if you want to leave us a voice message so we can hear you actually commenting on the episode or with your two cents on whatever argument we had that day. Yeah, or things you want us to Give discuss us your thoughts. or things we didn't bring up or think of. Q&As, just in general. Yeah. Any any questions you guys have for us regarding Harry Potter, that's awesome. I mean, how many people did you say there are out there? Over 9,000? Nine, over 9,000 people have us as one of their top 10 podcasts. Okay, you 9,000 people, send us your thoughts. <laughs> We will try to deal with them as best we can. Um, no, but we, we thank all of you for listening, and we really appreciate it. Help this podcast grow, and we will see you back again next week for another big chapter, uh, chapter 28. Thank you for listening to Hogwarts, a podcast. If you like what you've heard, please click the subscribe button on your preferred podcasting app and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Hogwarts, a podcast.